it, it's a pleasure for me, uh, really. Uh, I, I love uh, this church. I love uh, the leaders. I love the people that, that come here. I love God most than anything, and having ended up uh, at this place has been one of the greatest events in, 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 my, in my life. So, um, uh, please, uh, there's a, a, an insert in, in your bulletin this morning. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. It makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Question two. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how am I set free from all my sins and misery? Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. What is the definition of comfort? That was the first uh, thing that I had to find out when I, I started uh, preparing for, for uh, doing this uh, sermon on, on the, the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, the root is fort, like in the noun fortress, for bliss, and suggests a fountain of strength, vigor, safety, and courage. So from this, we can say that the question is, where do you get your strength from instead of what is your only comfort in life and in death? Or even better, what is your true source of spiritual strength? Uh, it's quite a change in a way. But remember that um, the language, the one I just read, talks about comfort, but it's the concept of, of comfort in 1563. So it's, it's been quite a, quite a while. So from now on, when, when you hear what is your only comfort, is actually what is your true source of spiritual strength. The, 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 the word comfort has a lot in... Uh, like fortaleza in, in Spanish is, is, is and like a fort. And, and it, it, it denotes uh, strength, vigor, safety. And uh, it made me remember re reading this, uh, the root of this word, 
is the, the, the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And this is Martin Luther, of course, and it was the, the, the hymn of the Reformation. And let goods and kindred go at the, very, the last stanza. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. And, and, and something interesting is that if, if, if when we read this, let us remember it's talking about what is my true source of spiritual strength in life and in death. And so there was a concern for the temporal, but also a concern for the eternal on the first question of the catechism, but also Mr. Martin Luther also had a concern for, for both in his hymn. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you are our strong shield and protector. Open our eyes and ears this morning for us to receive your holy word that always has a purpose and accomplishes what you send it for. God of comfort, God of strength, God of courage, safety, justice, mercy, and grace, fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Christ our Savior's name, amen. Well, we're going to continue and explore further the first two introductory questions of the Heidelberg Catechism. The first thing I would like to point, if, if you're looking at your first question, first answer, the, the first answer, uh, actually, uh, is, is, is got a, a, an insert, uh, a grammatical insert in the answer to question one. And there's a statement repeated, a, conce a concept that gets repeated both at the beginning and the ending sentence of the answers sentence, and it's called a, a wraparound, or inclusio, which is another word, a fancy word for sandwich. And what happens is, in, in literature, it, it's a didactic tool. And, and what they, what, what, the reason they do it is because it gives the message a sense of being packaged like in music or literature, will be known as circular closure when a, a piece of music ends and at the same, way, the same way it began. And they call it circular closure. And what it does, it provides a sense of unity, purpose, and finality. Also, the introduction illustrates the character of the whole work, which is devotional, as well as dogmatic or, or doctrinal. Uh, it, it, it's a beautiful document. It's a beautiful document. I, um, there was a point in my life, that, and that's when I memorized those first two questions and answers, because there was a, a moment where my wife was sick, my mother was sick, and the cat came with almost half his cheek off his face. And I had to put a, a 
a uh, one of those cones of of misery, or they have a they have a name, uh, and and uh, you know I had been memorizing this catechism because how it's it's very personal. It talks to you and you, and and you respond and I, and or 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 me or mine is is very very personal compared to the 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 the. the Westminster Confession and the Catechisms, and those are more very, very exact, and it, this is exact also, but uh, uh, the cate- this catechism is more personal, more warm, more like you're in a dialogue. It's beautiful. Part of a sermon is that what makes it different is that you say, so what? What it's in here for me? What can apply this to my, uh, from this to my life? And, and actually, that's one of the things you can apply. You can, you can start using it and memorizing it. Uh, and like Hank Hanegraaff from the Bible Answer Man says, you know, you get into the world and you get the, the word of God into you. So that's, that's the purpose. We, the, the, what we're trying to do is to know not just about God, which is the beginning of, uh, of, of learning something and, and, and gaining knowledge about God. We have, to, we have to first know about God so later we can know God. And... Uh, um, if you, if you don't mind bracketing, you go to the first answer. The first, uh, that, and then you bracket it again. And uh, the, the end bracket is a devil. And then the next one is he, also a bracket. I don't know how you say it in English. When you open a bracket. And then you close it in heaven. And then in fact. And then you close it uh, for him. The reason why we're doing this is if you look closely, closely at it, you, you will notice that the, the first bracket is going to be Christ. All these blessings that we get are from, from him. Even though we know that the whole Trinity is involved in there, because we can cannot uh, uh, separate them, we can distinguish them, but not separate them. But uh, it, the the next one is the Father, and the third bracket is the Holy Spirit. So, going back, if we go to the first bracket. There were some notes that I wrote. I said, the source of my strength to go on living is the fact that I belong to my faithful Savior. I have an owner. I don't belong to myself. Not only does he give me strength by being my Savior, as amazing as that is, but he is my faithful Savior. My Savior's faithfulness is a fountain of strength. And is, it, this, is, this echoes Roman 5. One thing that I 
need to tell you is that the whole catechism is structured around the book of Romans. So it's, it's, there's a lot of Bible here, okay? Um, and the reason why I'm saying this is because some people in evangelical churches uh, get very scared about confessions, creeds, or catechisms. Uh, I come from a little kid uh, from Catholic, Roman Catholic schools, and I was very familiar with that. And I, I enjoyed them. That was some of the most biblical things they taught me. <laughs> the next one, the next bracket says, uh, the notes that I wrote, is the ransom fee was paid and I was handed over to my new owner. I am my Lord's property. He provided me freedom from a horrendous reality. He set me free from the devil's tyranny. He did it by fully paying for all my sins. So there's nothing from what I can be accused now. I'm free from the devil's accusations. I, 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 I tried to find uh, uh, information about why in many hymns and, and, and writings they talk about uh, us being enslaved to the devil after what happened at, at the Garden of Eden. But uh, uh, most of what I found was they're actually uh, synonyms. There's, they're, uh, you're either you're, you're slave of, to the devil because you're a slave to, to uh, uh, sin. The last bracket, he takes care of me and not only me. He control, controls everything. He knows the number of my hairs, like in, in the Matthew 5. Even more, everything works together for, for my salvation. The Almighty is my Lord, and nothing can snatch me out of his hands. There's some, some echo from Romans 8 in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. He provides me security. He gives me the Holy Spirit. Eternal life is a real possession. And it has been secure for me. He makes me ready and wholeheartedly willing to leave, live for him from now on. Uh, that, there's some echoes there, there from Romans 12. We'll come back and explore the second and the last introductory question and answer of the catechism after I spend a little time giving you some background about our, our use of confessions and catechisms. Years back, as you would drive on, on Interstate 10 headed east or west, you would be able to notice a few billboards advertising our church at that time with the slogan, 21st century church, ancient faith. And, and by this affirmation, we were declaring our, our church to be both modern and old at the same time, but not in the same sense. We were declaring it to be modern in the sense of the effort of our church to stay current, relevant, and engage with, other, with our local cultural needs and trends. But I put this disclaimer, without being assimilated 
and remaining gospel counter-cultural following the Apostle Paul's compelling statements to believers in Corinth, what he said to them, we destroy arguments and every arrogant or lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That takes care of the, the, the modern part, the 21st century part, church part. Now we're going to take care of the ancient faith part of the slogan, and we, we also declare to be an ancient faith church, first mainly because we as congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America uphold the Reformation slogan, Sola Scriptura, which means scripture alone. And what it means is scripture is the supreme authority over the church. The Bible rules reason and tradition because it alone is infallible God's word. But it does not mean, and this is another disclaimer, or that's how I, I call them, but it does not mean that we refuse to value and learn from the collective mind of the church throughout the ages. Reason why we subscribe and use what we call Bible subordinate standards. Similar to under the Bible. Their, their documents, declarations, they're under the Bible, metaphorically. And examples are the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechisms. Meaning those who hold an office position in the, in the PCA church like me and Rick and Dave Fickett uh, and and Gary and Aya, and our pastor. And uh, we're required to, to subscribe to this statement of faith as the summary of their own beliefs, and we commit to ensuring that these teachings are safeguarded in the life and work of the congregation. And also subscribe to the historic ancient creeds of the Christian faith and affirm other Reformed confessions of faith and catechisms including the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, I was just talking to, to one of our sisters here. Her mom uh, came from the Netherlands, and she learned it. She had to learn the whole 129 questions and answers in order to become a member of a Reformed church. And, and they, they also hold to other uh, documents. Uh, they're, they're the the Belgic Confession, and then also the, the Canons of Dort. But fortunately, they didn't make her uh, learn all those, right? <laughs> that was enough. So, uh, and these were put together, the creeds were put together millennia ago, and uh, the 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 confessions and catechisms centuries ago. I recently uh, read the story of a pastor in a church. This pastor had the habit of grasping his Bible with, with his right hand, lifting it up above his head and pointing at it with his left. And with a booming voice, a very strong voice, he used to say, 
This is our only creed. This is our only confession. And, and this is an anti-confessional, anti-credal confession attitude. It is very ba- uh, typical of the vast majority of evangelical Christians today, explicitly or even implicitly. Interestingly, interestingly most Christian churches throughout the ages have defined themselves by commitment to some form of, of creed, confession, or doctrinal statement. Ironically, that church was marked with a lot, their teaching, their preaching was marked with a combination of Calvinism, dispensationalism, and many other uh, tendencies that in many cases uh, had, had collusion problems, let's put it that, that way. Um, we're at odds with each other. To me, actually, that kind of a faith statement, because he was, he was making a faith statement without knowing it, uh, I would call that a theological schizophrenia or a uh, Bible pride uh, issue. I do want to make the point here that uh, Christian churches and denominations are not divided by who has and who has not confessions and creeds. Rather, they're divided between those who have public creeds and confessions and are written down and exist as public documents. They're subject to scrutiny, evaluation, and critique. But there's the other side of those, like this church, this pastor, who have private creeds and confessions that are often improvised, unwritten, and thus not open to public scrutiny, no susceptible to evaluation, and crucially and ironically, not therefore subject to, to testing by scripture to see whether they are true. And it reminded me of, of the, the believers in Berea in, in the book of Acts, were constantly check with their scriptures what Paul would tell them. So, uh, in a way, it, they criticize the confessions, but in a way, they're doing, they're hurting themselves by not making them public. I, I used to be part of a Christian coffee house in the 1970s when I first became a Christian, I was a hippie-teka. You, you guys know what a hippie-teka is? It's a hippie with very long hair, but I was Mexican, so I was part Azteca. So I was Aztec. Hippie and Aztec, like a mixture. And that's how they used to call us, hippie-tecas. And, and, uh, and, and, and this Christian coffee house, we, we were young, right? But... Uh, uh, we needed something like documents like this to guide us, and the, the fact that we didn't have them, we used to pray for the Holy Spirit to come down on 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 drunka, drunkards. That we were in a in real bad drunkard, you know, a, 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 a 
inebriated, or is that how you said? Inebriated, okay. Ebrios. And, uh, you know, there were people that when you opened your eyes, they were looking at you like this, uh, the drunkard, and, and he was just waiting for time to prestame cinco pesos, you know, that he wanted five, five pesos. And, and, and that was not the worst part time that one of them, one of our leaders decided that God was speaking to him about, about uh, bringing back one of our, the members of our Christian coffee house. It was Chalom. It was the name of the place. She died of, uh, she had epileptic seizures. She died. And that he received a word that, uh, that we, God was going to raise her up during the, 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 uh, the funeral. And, uh, of course, that didn't happen. It was a whole bunch of us. The, the people were all scared. You know, I mean, this, the, her dad was a, a, a doctor, and uh, there was hundreds of people. Here we are. And, and, and I'm just giving you a few examples of, even worse things that we did uh, like that. And sometimes somebody would be preaching at the coffee house after singing a few songs and grabbing, grabbing a Bible. Most of the people were homeless and they would go there and have uh, donuts with coffee. And uh, it was very common during the 1970s to people to gather at Christian coffee houses instead of going to church. And... Uh, so now, uh, um, after giving you some some information about about why the importance of of having documents that are public and open to scrutiny, um, now let us jump back into the comfort uh, the uh, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism or the Comfort Catechism, as some people have. Have called it. The reason why they call it uh, comfort catechism is because those three brackets that we isolated, the first, the first one uh, after the introduction that is going to be today, the first two questions and answers, those they uh, they 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 only devote a few questions and answers to to say how how bad my our misery is. But it devotes like ten times more to uh, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Those are the three, three uh, uh, subdivisions: guilt, misery, grace, deliverance. Is that another word? Or and or grace, uh, uh, gratitude. I'm sorry. Let's go into question two. What must you know to live and die in the joy of discomfort? Three things, right? First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how am I set free from all my sins and misery? Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance? So, the question immediately is telling me that, uh, you know, to enjoy this comfort, and it's talking about the comfort, all the the good stuff, the good uh, uh, gifts, the good uh, uh, deeds that we have received from, from God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
How can we enjoy them with certainty? And it says that we must know. So the word that uses, and you're better than me in, in uh, American grammar, but is it's a modal verb. In other words, the, the must is, is one of these verbs that gives meaning to another verb or other verbs. And so what, what, what the question wants to say is that it is very necessary that something happens in the present or the future. In this case, the verb given meaning is the verb to know. The catechism in question two then is clearly identifying that there's something that is necessary to happen sooner or later in order for us to live and die in the joy of discomfort is to know or overcoming ignorance by gaining or increasing our knowledge. The type of ignorance referred to here, and this is a theological uh, uh, category, this called vincible and invincible ignorance. And this was put together by the, the Roman Catholic Church while they were uh, formulating their ethics uh, doctrines. And basically, we can use it here. They, 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 won't, they won't mind. But we're do, do, using it to, to say there's ignorance, they're vincible, that we can conquer. And we mu- not just... We must conquer it. And that's what the... That's what the, 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 the framers are doing with the, the second question. They're saying it, it, it is conquerable, is vincible, so it's ignorance that we can overcome. How come we can overcome this ignorance? Ignorance is because God in his grace has spoken. So we, we have information. So it's not like, like there's certain areas of God that only belong to him. But in this case, this is, this is uh, 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 information that has been revealed in his special revelation. Okay? And, and because God in his grace has spoken, as Francis Schaeffer said about God, he's there and he's not silent. Uh, Francis Schaeffer was one of the persons that was very instrumental in me becoming Presbyterian. As a matter of fact, I, I think I can accuse him of that. And uh, God has revealed information about himself and speaks in two books. Don't get scared. One is the book of nature that we see when we go out and, and everything that is not in the book of the Bible is, is natural revelation. The Bible is special revelation. I must know three things, and we, we, we know, and, and, and the catechism affirms and teaches that true biblical comfort or, or, or true source of spiritual strength in life and in death is attained as we grow in our knowledge of three things, guilt, grace, and gratitude. So the rest, the rest of the catechism it, it, after, after question two, all going to be subdivided into th- those three topics. Safe from what, safe by what, and safe for what. Or put it in another way, misery, deliverance, and gratitude. 
Okay, now that we're talking about knowledge, what is the most important thing in the world to every Christian? It is to grow in the knowledge of God. And that, that was people, several people that I read, like John Stott, uh, J.I. Packer, Sproul, all, the, all those guys. So I, I say, oh, wow. Yeah, so it gets to the point where, where, where Jesus said that eternal life or salvation means knowledge of God. And he says that in John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Again, now this is eternal life that they may know you, his disciples, the only, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To be a Christian is not a mindless experience, but involves knowledge and understanding. It means a personal relationship and a personal acquaintance with the Lord. And then uh, I was about to, to, um, to, um, to finish with this when I, I saw a, a, a table of four categories about people, about their current salvation, of the status of their souls. And every one of us fits into one of these four categories. The first group is what, what I call not saved, naive, ignorant. And these are people that may not be saved, and they think they are. And that's, that's the worst circumstance you can be under. You think you are saved, and you may not be saved. The second group is, is a group that is, I call the not saved, realistic, ignorant. This guy is very realistic. He knows he may not be saved, and he knows he is not saved. I, you know, I'd rather be like this guy than, than the, the one in the first group. The third group is saved. The, the, the next two groups are people that are, uh, may be saved, but they're unclear about what that means. And I call them saved in, progr in progress ignorant. The Holy Spirit is already, he saved them and he's working on their growth, but they're they still are growing. And, and the fourth and last group is the saved ideal ignorant. I know it sounds funny, the ignorant part, but uh, you may be saved and you know that you're, you're saved. And basically, uh, as, uh, as elders in, 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 in the, the church leadership in general, we want people to graduate from the first group to the fourth group. That's uh, uh, why uh, uh, this church has so many... Uh, teaching classes, theology class, and, and we have the journey. and So we're, we're constantly uh, battling to and fighting for bringing people to, to the knowledge of God. Let us pray.
Thank you, Father. Help us to put into practice all this information. May we grow in knowing you, the only true, you are the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Amen.